The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, you know, our show is about what to say when you're in conflict in the work environment. Lots of times things, you know, conflict is inevitable. It happens. And so we're going to be talking with these two authors who have a whole book called Perfect Phrases for Conflict Resolution, Hundreds of Ready-to-Use Phrases for Encouraging a More Productive and Efficient Work Environment. And, you know, I teach at UCI right here, and people are always asking me, well, you know, what do I say when, when this happens? Or how do I answer this? So this is a perfect thing. They just have these kind of phrases handy. And part of it is just learning to be really centered and saying nice things, always being on the positive as much as possible. But they have a bunch of great phrases in here in this book. So let me tell you a little bit about the authors. Lawrence Polsky and Antoine Gershel have traveled the world assisting thousands of leaders on five continents to navigate change and resolve conflict. As managing partners at People NRG, a global leadership consulting firm in beautiful Princeton, New Jersey, they energize leaders and teams by helping them address the fundamental barriers to organizational performance. And those things are such things as unclear objectives, inadequate communication, misunderstood roles and responsibilities, poor decision-making processes, and lack of understanding how to deal with conflict. Antoine has 15, more than 15 years of experience developing award-winning programs, improving business communication and leadership with global multicultural settings. He happens to also be from Switzerland. You'll hear his wonderful accent in a few minutes. And Lawrence specializes in coaching leaders to improve their emotional intelligence and both of them have so much more about them that they have tremendous experience and you can find that at conflicthealing.com where we have their picture and their bio and their URL. And as a matter of fact, you can go and learn a little bit more about them at peoplenrg.com. So I want to thank you both. Thanks so much for joining us, Lawrence and Antoine. Thank You're you. Thanks welcome, for having Maury. me. It's great to be with you. Great. Okay. So Antoine, why don't we just start out with you so they can hear your wonderful accent? Uh, There are a lot of books on conflict. So why did the two of you write this book? That's an excellent question, Lori. Thank you for asking. 
You know, it's a second book we wrote in a series, which is published by McGraw-Hill. The first one was Perfect Phrases for Communicating Change. And based on the success of that first book, uh, our publishers and editors approached us and asked us whether we wanted to write a second book. And this is when uh, Lawrence and I put our heads together and asked ourselves, okay, if we take this opportunity and write a second book, what should it be about? And in our consulting and business practice, we just had observed that avoided conflicts limit companies in their abilities to come up with new ideas and also implement those new ideas. Without a healthy debate, you, can't, you, you just can't be innovative. Exactly. So conflict avoidance cultures, we think, have destroyed more value than any other single business behavior. And kind of throughout, through this observation, the experience, we suggested conflict as the next topic, and this is how Perfect Phrases for Conflict Resolution uh, started. And it makes a lot of sense because conflict avoidance really destroys divergent ideas. People hide it or they fight from it or they, you know, bury it, whereas conflict in itself shows that there's divergent ideas. And if you use conflict correctly and you use it as an ally to gain greater opportunities, then you have a lot more creativity. So conflict, you know, people think of it as bad, but it actually can be quite good if you know how to use it. So Lawrence, you called this book Perfect Phrases for Conflict Resolution. So is there really such a thing as a perfect phrase (laughs) during conflict? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if you just had your little list of perfect phrases? I mean, we have them in the book, and there's tons of them. We call them perfect phrases, but the fact is that life happens, and you prepare, and you think about what you're going to say, but at the end of the day, you're in a room with someone, or in a hall with someone, or on the phone with someone, and there's so many dimensions to the conversation, in terms of the relationship you have, in terms of the history that you have in terms of what's going on, the time of the day, the mood everyone's in, that it's really hard to have the perfect phrase. So what we did when we started writing the book, and we, and we knew this from writing the previous book, that we said, okay, what are the things that you generally want to talk about when you're in conflict? What are the types of phrases and the types of wordings that you, you might want to use? And we've listed um, all of these phrases under different categories. So... Uh, we thought about it in terms of, you know, if you have conflict with your manager, it's a little different than if you have conflict with a customer, which is a little different than if you have conflict with someone who works for you, which is different than if you have conflict with someone you work with. Exactly. So, so we looked at it that way, and we, we have tons and tons of examples which are really meant to spark thinking and help you plan and prepare. So before you stick your foot in your mouth, you could look at what are some options about how you might say it and then pick something that you think might work, but ultimately you're going to have to make a judgment call based on the situation, leveraging um, you know, what some of the options are. So is there ever anything you should never say when you're in conflict? Well, um, yeah, there's definitely um, things that you shouldn't say, and, and there's really two uh, parts to that, I think. Um, there's part of it has to do with uh, what we say to ourselves because I think uh, I think Antoine would agree that um, conflict 
is really the, the result, the end. Uh, can I start over? <laughs> well, no, you're doing fine, really. Go ahead. I, it gets crazy. Conflict is crazy. Go ahead. The, the thing is that what we say to ourselves is really predetermines what the result's going to be. So there are certain things that we, that we don't want to say to ourselves because they're going to negatively impact the outcome. And, and we've outlined some of these in the book. Uh, for example, uh, many people, especially in the workplace, um, they say that to themselves, well, you know, it'll just, it'll just resolve itself. Let me just wait it out. Let me just wait it out. Now, that's sometimes a good strategy, but it's often used as a way to just um, put off the inevitable discomfort of the conflict because conflict is uncomfortable, and, and people don't like to be uncomfortable. So it, you have to be careful when, you, when you're putting something off to see. Are you really putting it off because it's not a good time, or are you putting it off because you just don't want to deal with it? Um, another uh, counterproductive thing you could say to yourself is just thinking, well, you know, it's never, it's, I'm not going to have any impact. So, so people at work, especially when there's a hierarchical issue, so if someone is subordinate to uh, their boss or someone has a lower status in the organization, they think maybe if they say something, it's not going to matter, so why bother? And so what we find is that, obviously, if, if enough people say that, then the important things don't get discussed and the important issues don't get resolved and therefore the company's not productive. So, um, yes, there are times when you may, it may not be helpful to get into a conflict, but often um, bringing up an issue, if you bring it up correctly and properly and, and in a good way, um, is helpful. And, and it can boost morale, too. If well, absolutely. I mean, what we talk about is you have to go through the negative to get to the positive. Yes. You can't just create positive morale by trying to make it be happy and be cheery and all the time. You have to, I mean, th- simple examples at home, you know, if there's a little thing that's annoying someone in your house, until it gets talked through, you can't really, it's not pleasant, right? And, you have to work it through. And, 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 you, and the little annoyances, if you just keep letting them build up and build up and build up and put them under the rug, the rug gets bumpy and everybody falls over. So it's, uh, it's not a healthy thing. So, Antoine, what are some of the most common types of conflicts you see in organizations? Yeah, actually, I like I like your metaphor of the bumpy, mm-hmm. bumpy carpet. That's certainly true. So, but back to your question, um, we are very often brought into uh, conflicts. You know, we work around change, and change is just a thing where people it's associated with a lot of fears, yes. tensions. And, and, and also real fights. So it's, it's a whole source. There's a whole source of conflict. So, but let's, you know, maybe a, a practical example. I mean, one of my first, first uh, assignments as a consultant after leaving the uh, corporate world was a conflict situation. It was a, a, a mid-sized company, manufacturing company, which had moved their one factory, you know, from one U.S. state into the other, and within this process, actually, the two heads, the one, the head of sales and marketing and the head of manufacturing, really, that their, their relationship was already a bumpy one from the get-go, but it really escalated through the situation, which would have needed a lot of flexibility and a good collabora- uh, collaboration, and the opposite happened. Through this latent conflict, which has been around, had been around for months or even years, and they kind of survived and could maneuver around it, now suddenly in this critical situation of moving a factory exploded 
and really nearly brought, brought the whole company down. So that was the moment when they called me in and I had the opportunity to mitigate that conflict. It's a very good example of a, of a, Latin con- of a conflict which has been around and suddenly it explodes. But, and, and oftentimes there are those sudden bursts of emotional situations. It can also be you know, around performance management, around you know, disappointments. For, you know, now it's bonus time. The typical time of the year where a lot of people are happy, but many more may actually be disappointed because their expectations are not quite fulfilled. It can also be about intransparency of rules and standards, which, you know, create a situation, a feeling of favoritism. One situation we have just been involved with is an executive who is now about to resign because he seems like um, they passed him over for a promotion. He wasn't clear about the criteria. I didn't understand why somebody else was chosen. So another typical example, practical example for conflict. And, you know, it seems to me that if you have a really enlightened CEO that deals positively with his staff, it trickles down. So if the top is knows how to deal with conflict and the top treats other people right, then then the lower uh, echelon and the, the rest of the architecture works better as well. So if you've got a CEO who is a difficult person, I would think that that makes the whole system sick. Do you find that too? Uh, absolutely. I mean, Maury, you're 100% right. You know, I think bad behavior is toxic. Yes. And it doesn't need to be the CEO. But, of course, it's the worst of the worst if the CEO is modeling a bad behavior. Yes. But you can have actually perfect CEOs and, you know, but direct reports or other key executives which are, quote-unquote, misbehaving, and it's toxic and really can destroy a whole uh, a culture. Yeah, it, it's just such a shame that they don't really have training and dealing with conflict, and, and that's why you guys get called in and, and I get called in. Lawrence, if, if you had to give a quick how-to guide for anyone in conflict when they're at work, and we have a lot of people listening that are either on their way to work because it's, you know, 8.30 in the morning, that they're on their way to work or they're, you know, on their way to school or something, um, what, what would you tell them? What's, what's a quick guide for them? Great. Yes, we have a quick guide, and the, uh, the book is laid out around these four steps. And the, the first step is what everyone thinks about when they think of conflict, which is really raising the issue, right? That's the hardest part, to raise the issue. And you have to do that as specifically and as carefully and as delicately as you can, but you have to raise the issue. And then when you raise the issue, you have to listen to the other person's point of view. I mean, that's the basics of conflict, right? Raise the issue, what do you need, what do they need, right? But what we found, in addition to that, which is our our second step, I think, is, is the most important, which is that after you've done that, instead of just getting caught up in that, and all the emotions around that, you need to move to the second step, which we say is uh, sharing the vision. Okay, so you need to talk about, okay, great, this is what happened, I'm upset, you're upset, great. What do we want to have the future be? How do we want to work together? How do we want the next situation to be handled? How do we want the team to operate? How do we want communication to be? And start talking about the future, because you want to start moving forward. It's easy to get caught up in the past. So the second step is all about the remembering to look at the future, Start sharing your vision, listen to their vision, and then third step, explore some alternatives for how you might meet that vision. Right? So if we want to have 
more um, communication closer to an event and not waiting a week. Great, that was what the, the mix-up was. Well, then how are we going to do that? What are some ideas we could make sure that happens? What can I do? What could you do? And then fourth, let's agree on what we're going to do. Yeah. So these are the four steps. Share, share and understand the issue. Share the vision. Explore alternatives and agree on action. And as you know, it looks really nice on paper, and it's easy for me to explain it. Yeah. But the reality is never linear like that. So what we found, I mean, that's kind of why you're there or I'm there or Antoine's there is we help guide the process. But if we're not there, is to just remember on your own, try to, if you can remember those four steps and try to keep moving towards the second step and then to the third and to the fourth, even though you might, have, you, know, you might be on step three and end back on step one, that's okay. Just try to keep moving forward um, so that you could agree on some action. Yeah, if if people can remember that conflict is a problem to be solved, not to uh, use it as a chance to accuse and go in the back in the past and go backward. It's, exactly. it's always yeah. It's funny. I I just got an email on one of my listservs uh, the yesterday, and it was um, an attorney who said, "Hey guys, you know, because we're on this listserv together. Hey guys, what do I do? I have a I have a." client that always wants to hug me afterwards what do I do (laughs) and and one answer was you know I'll tell you what my answer was in a minute but one answer just is just obviously hysterical but does nothing was um don't brush your teeth and don't wear deodorant and you won't have to worry about it (laughs) and I and of course the mediator in me got in and said well tell them you really appreciate how warm that they are and, and that they trust you and, and really care about you and you care about them and you want them to know that you appreciate that, but that at the same time also you're in a professional place and you feel very uncomfortable with the hugging and that, you know, your client and attorney rather than buddies. And at this point in your relationship, you would really appreciate if you could just shake hands and when, when you leave each other or when you say hi and you know, please help, you know, please understand that I do care about you and I do appreciate your warmth, but I'm much more comfortable if we do this. Is that okay with you? So that's what I told her to say. <laughs> so she didn't hurt the other person's feelings. Right, you know, right. Well, that's very well said. It's a delicate topic and I think you said it well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that goes to one of the things that will always help in any kind of conflict is start out with a velvet approach. Is just, you know, start out really nice. Like I, you know, I'm sorry. I feel so bad you didn't get that promotion. I know you were counting on it. Like you were talking about the guy that you just had that didn't get the promotion and he's ready to leave. You know, just say, hey, you know, you it, you really have so much in it and we really appreciate you and we really like you and we know that you've done a great job and here's some of the challenges that we had and why you weren't chosen, you know. So that you start out with the velvet approach, if at all possible. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about this, then, Antoine, uh, what do you do if there's a conflict with your boss? I know that's one that people always ask me. What do you say? Yes, actually, that's an excellent question, and it happens to be a very relevant one. And this is also why we have actually dedicated a whole chapter in our book about conflicts and how to deal with conflicts with your boss. But just to give you a brief um, summary digest of it, I think 
And we promote actually the attitude that your boss is one of your most important customers. So, and as it is with customers, you know your customers. At the end of the day, you know, you have to kind of tailor your behavior to them. And sometimes that also means that that's certainly true for the boss. You know, sometimes you have to accept their imperfections and just take them as they are and as you also expect them to tolerate yours. Just and like the customer's that, always that, right. Oh, you have so, uh, Maury, sorry? I said, just like the customer's always right, the boss is always right. Yeah, I wouldn't say always right. I mean, that's a tricky one, and I think we've moved away from having the customer being always right. We want to have more of a partnership. It, it's, a, it, it's certainly a partnership. We're trying to build a relationship, which is a partnership. So that doesn't mean you're always right. But at the end of the day, you know, there is certainly a, a, a power structure which you have to recognize. And there is also a certain level of dependence, and don't be too idealistic. Oftentimes, you know, there are a lot of emotion in conflict, and we think, hey, I'm going to tell him, and this, I'm not accepting that, etc., etc., which is, you know, it's your boss, so just keep it in mind. But you have other bosses, you know, with, with, like in any other conflict, when you know your boss, some bosses are very direct, and they appreciate straight dealings, they want direct dialogue, and they would certainly want to hear everything you think and then how you feel and what kind of consequences it has. And others are more sensitive to what can be perceived as, uh, as criticism. And you know, you, you know your boss as you know your customers and just follow also your instincts and your experience. And that leads us, Lawrence, to dealing with the emotional part of conflict And we know that conflict causes a lot of emotions and it it bothers us and it affects us physiologically and emotionally and physically. So what are some ways to keep the emotions under control, Lawrence? Yeah, and you you brought up a really important one about the velvet approach, right? So really how you approach the other person is going to dramatically impact their reaction to you. So uh, what we focus on is since it's perfect phrases, we focus on how you say what you're going to say. So, for example, uh, if it's not a good time, if you think it's not a good time for you or you get a sense and you have to pay attention, is it not a good time for the other person, especially at work with different priorities, different urgencies, different projects, you might just say, hey, let's delay it. And you, if something comes up that you think is a big issue and you feel very strongly about, but you see it's not a good time, maybe it's in the hall or maybe it's in the middle of a meeting, you just say, hey, you know, that's, you know, I think that's, let's definitely talk about it. It's really important, but let's talk about it later when we have more time. Let's offline. We can schedule a time. So timing is very critical. Yes. Um, also, you want to try to be as relaxed and real as possible. It is work, and it is professional, and, and there's different styles. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about people's personalities and their styles and how to approach them, but generally... Um, you want to be real about it, and one way to be real about it is to just say, is to just acknowledge openly how you feel about it and how relieved you are that you're talking about it. So this is something that's bothering you. You could say something, you know, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Uh, I really trust you to work through this, and I'm really happy we have the opportunity to talk about it. And what that's doing is you're sharing positive feelings, and that helps the other, put the other person at ease and creates a more positive climate. Yes. 
And, uh, and lastly, I mean, there's a number more in the book, but lastly, I want, want to talk about um, taking responsibility because uh, it's easy to get defensive uh, when there's a conflict. It's easy to think about what the other person did wrong and what you did right, and it's all their fault. So you need to think about and take responsibility for um, what your part in the problem is. Yes. And so by saying things, you know, and it may be into the conversation, acknowledging after you hear from them and say, you know what, I see now what you mean. I see how I might, I see how I'm contributing to this. I didn't realize that. I appreciate you telling me that. I'm not going to do that again. You know, make sure that doesn't happen again. So um, be willing to be humble and take responsibility for your part in the problem. Right. And don't blame somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, people forget that when you take responsibility for something you've done and you apologize for it, people can be forgiving because they say, oh, well, gee, he was courageous enough to say, yeah, I messed up. And, and I love that in your book, you have some, some interesting phrases about when you do mess up, how to say you've made a mistake. And, and I think that's a, the, the key thing that I thought was really helpful about this book is that you won't be able to like quick run, like in the middle of a conflict, run and, and look up the perfect phrase. <laughs> but, um, but if you have something that you want to talk about with somebody and you haven't talked about it yet, you can kind of look at the book and get some ideas and kind of plan because it's always a really good idea not to just go into any conflict resolution that you're trying to accomplish without a plan. And I think that's one of the beauties of this book is that it helps you in planning on what to say and how to say it. So I think that's really helpful. We are talking right now with the authors of Perfect Phrases for Conflict Resolution, hundreds of ready-to-use phrases for encouraging a more productive and efficient environment, work environment with Lawrence Polsky and Antoine Gershel. And um, we don't have a lot more time, so let me just ask you, um, Antoine? Yes? Is there any negotiation or I mean conflict resolution problem that should never be addressed at work? What we try to say is in the business environment there are like in, in, in most business situations there is a situational approach. So maybe the first thing to ask yourself and we look at two dimensions around importance. How important is the situation on one dimension to you and yourself, and how important is it to your partner. And based on that, you have to look for a differentiated strategy. And you have a situational approach depending on the type of conflict it is. And we actually combine that with another fact which is true in conflict, which is it's full of F-words, right? There are lots of F-words around conflict. So we show, you know, there's what we're talking about is fear and fight and flight and freeze and feelings, etc. All F-words. Maybe yes. not the first one you were thinking of. <laughs> I was worried for a second there. <laughs> okay. but, but we also leverage that uh, F-word yeah. <laughs> approach in the strategy we're recommending when you're addressing conflict. According to importance to you and your partner, we have... The fight-em strategy, the face-em strategy, the friend-em strategy, and the forget-em strategy. And really, the answer would be the forget-em strategy is the one where we say, yeah, just forget it. Don't address it. 
And you know what? Those are the conflicts which are not important to you. They're not important to to your partner. So just forget it. And you know what? Everything else you should address. Okay. We are out of time. So that means that if anybody's interested in finding out more about this, they can do one of a couple of things. They can pick up your book, Perfect Phrases for Conflict Resolution, and they can also go to your website at peoplenrg.com. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it, Antoine and Lawrence. You've been a wonderful guest, and I hope we get to talk again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.